I was actually out for part of the week. I took a couple of our kids to the Braves game. Thus, my voice is all messed up here for uh, screaming lovely things. Uh, no profanity from, this li- from these lips, just celebrating, enjoying our team, enjoying my time with my kids. And so I've asked Aaron to come. And, and so let me invite Aaron to come forward. Why don't you give Aaron a warm welcome and grab your Bibles as we get into the Word. Let's pray. Lord, I confess I am a man of unclean lips, and just as Isaiah had prayed and asked, Lord, that you would purify the words that come out of my mouth, God, we are grateful, incredibly grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ this morning, and I pray, Lord, that the power of your Holy Spirit would just descend upon our church and descend upon the ears and hearts that are here this morning. God, would this be a memorable 4th of July because of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help me as I deliver your words this morning, that they would be clear, and, Lord, that they would impact the lives that are in this room. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as Ben said, I am Aaron Scholl. I'm one of the elders. I get the opportunity to preach from Acts 4. And we're going to be talking about prayer this morning. So if you turn your Bible to Acts chapter 4, we're in verses 23 through 31. And if you remember what Jesus said, Jesus said what when he took the money changers, when he turned over the tables? He said, my house is a house of prayer. And we're going to look specifically this morning at what it looks like to pray like a disciple. But as you're turning to Acts chapter 4, let me first just say happy 4th of July to you. You know, it is great to be an American, is it not? We still live in the greatest country in the world. And I am proud to be an American. And, and you should be too, right? We are the land of the free because of the brave. And yet we know that our citizenship is in heaven. Amen? Amen. That those of us that have trusted in the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ, we await a greater kingdom better than anything that we can imagine this morning. And that is great news, and that is very encouraging news. And the reason why that's great news is because in America today, we are undergoing probably the most opposition that we've ever undergone as Christians, are we not? Our religious freedoms are under attack, are they not? In the last year, the last five years certainly. And I want to bring us to a place of desperation this morning Not depression, but desperation, because desperation is the fertile soil in which prayer is birthed. So let me just share with you a couple things and acknowledge the reality this morning, because I hope we get to a place where we realize just how desperate we are for a movement of God and just how dependent we are on God for that movement. So as Christians in America today, there's, there's some trends that are not so favorable. The first of those is the fact that While we were certainly, some would say, founded as a Christian nation, right now about one out of every ten would be considered evangelical. So the movement that we thought we had, where folks would profess to have a Christian background, was closer to 50% today. Recent studies say one out of ten. So we know we're a smaller movement. The second thing is our young people, 18 to 29, two-thirds, 68%, about 70%, of our young people, they're leaving the Christian faith. Two-thirds. And I say Christian 
right? We have to assume based on the survey. But two-thirds of our young people are leaving the Christian faith between 18 and 29. 68% of all funding to Christian organizations is by the oldest two generations. The oldest two generations in America right now are funding about 70% of Christian organizations. That's staggering. And not only that, our evangelism seems to be sputtering. We're not keeping up with population growth. We're seeing a lot of musical churches. There's churches that are swelling. There's churches that are receding. But we're not seeing converts and salvations to keep up with population growth. And is cultural hostility not ever increasing in the secularization of America? Are we not seeing this prevalent in our coastal cities, Hollywood, Washington, D.C., higher education, mainstream media? And at a time when the church should be most unified, we're probably as divided as we've been over an ancillary number of topics. So can I paint for you a picture this morning of just how desperate we are for a movement of God? And if we go back to Acts 4, Peter and John were desperate for a movement of God. And we shouldn't be surprised this morning and we shouldn't be overcome with fear. Because, see, I think sometimes we hear these things and we get fearful and we think maybe God's not in control. Maybe things are spinning out of control. And so this morning, what do we do? What do we do? As Christians in America today, what do we do? And what I hope to show you is what we do is we desperately cry out to God for prayers of endurance that we would boldly proclaim and live the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what we do. So let's pick up in Acts 4. Verse 23, it says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God, our prayer is the same this morning. We acknowledge and understand your sovereignty in all things, that you are the creator of the universe, you are the maker of the universe. And God, we can have great comfort knowing that all things are in your control, that your will will be done. And at the same time, Lord, we know that we need help, that we are desperate today for a movement that only by the transforming power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, will we have victory in this battle. And so, Lord, this morning, may we be awakened to the things of God. May you arm us and equip us to fight this battle, knowing that we cannot do this on our own, and apart from you, we can do nothing, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, if you've been with us any length of time, you know Ben was preaching on the previous passages in Acts. And if you remember, just let me set the scene for this passage, but you have Peter and John who had just healed a lame beggar by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And they encountered tremendous opposition having done that. And while people should have been rejoicing because a man that had been lame since birth was now leaping, instead what we saw was opposition. And what we see here this morning in Acts 4 as we pick up is what was that opposition specifically? If you look back just a little bit, it says in Acts 4.12, it says, There's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that is the bold proclamation of a church like Gospel Community. There is no other name by which you will be saved other than Jesus Christ. And our boldness this morning comes from passages of Scripture just like this. Now we also see, what, in Acts 4.18, that they called them, the religious leaders called them and charged them, what, not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. And what did Peter and John do? Well, we know from the books of, book of Acts as it continues, they continued on boldly. But what did they do first? It says right there in verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. So a couple, just a disclosure and then a disclaimer. The disclosure is, if you recognize this, Pray like a disciple today. It's kind of a lame takeoff of the play like a champion today, right? The greatest football team in college football history. Are you guys with me here? Amen. <laughs> the disclaimer is, as I prepare this message, we're going to see that disciples pray quickly. They pray correctly. And they pray expectantly. And if you know me, you know my natural reflex is not to pray quickly. It's at times I'm praying for things that are incorrect, that are not in alignment with God's will. And just like you, we can doubt. And my prayer oftentimes is, I believe, Lord, help me in my unbelief. And so as I prepared this message, this is not giving to you from a platform of do as I do. It's more a platform of the Holy Spirit can transform your life and I have been taken from one degree of glory to the next and by the grace of God I've grown in each one of these. So my, my prayer is that we... ...a condemnation. So to their... ...elders said to them, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. So what do we see here? First of all, what we see is they. We see a lot of they's, right? They, 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 together. I think the first thing we take away from this is we're in this together. They went to their community. Another version says they went to their companions. They went to people, right? And we should do the same. When we're encountering opposition, we should be going to God's people. We should be going to our community. And what did those people do? What did the disciples do and the other converts? It says right there, they, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. So I think it's important. What did they not do? They didn't strategize. 
We don't see a lot of strategy here. Right? They didn't, we don't see them game planning. We don't see bitterness here. We don't see them saying, these guys are absolute bozos. I can't believe Caiaphas and Alexander and John, these religious, pretentious people, I can't believe these people. Can you? They don't get aggressive in their demeanor. What they do is they pray and they pray very quickly. And why do they do that? Well, I think first and foremost, they recognize that they are totally desperate and dependent on God for any type of movement. Complete desperation. And the second thing is they recognize that only God has the power and God is truly sovereign. And is that not the same as what we should experience this morning? If you know anything about our church, you know one of our uh, core values is fervent prayer. But it's off of Ephesians 6, 17 through 18 that says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. And that's what we're about as a church. We want to get together with a community of believers and pray with one another. Ephesians, or excuse me, Philippians 4, 6 says this, right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, pray. Are you anxious this morning? Are you anxious for anything? Pray. We need to pray quickly. Is that our response today when we encounter opposition? Is our first response to pray quickly? Are we quick to pray? Do we have a prayerful dependence? Or, or do you subtly live a life of self-sufficiency? You know, have you ever had somebody ask you after you've gone through a series of trials and misfortunes and you kind of spill it out to them and they say, well, have you prayed about it? And you're like, no, I have not. Has that ever happened to you? Certainly that's happened to you. We need to remove the idol of self-sufficiency in our life, acknowledging that God is in control. We are desperate and we need to be more dependent. You know, an interesting illustration for this. If you know us, you know that we adopted a five-year-old from Africa. And you know that my wife made the mistake of giving him a Gizmo Pal watch. And a Gizmo Pal watch, if you don't know what that is, you can program it with three phone numbers. So you can put three phone numbers on it, and then you can press call, and it'll call someone. Well, the other cool thing about adopting a kid from Africa that's never had a dad is he's never seen my failures. So he thinks I'm pretty awesome. I mean, he thinks I'm amazing, and I could fix anything. There wasn't anything he couldn't break that I couldn't fix because it was super easy. It was basically plugging things in, charging batteries. But in his mind, over a series of times, like, he was just, I mean, it got excessive. But he was calling to check on his bicycle. He knew daddy fix, daddy fix, daddy fix. And we should have that same position with our Father God to know, I'm, I can't do this. I cannot do this. God, I need you. Just as the psalmist has cried out. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the hills, the maker of heaven and earth. So we see that they were quick to pray. We also see how they prayed. And I, I, I put correctly, I could have said more biblically. But how did they pray? What do we see there? First of all, this is one of the only quoted prayers in the Bible. So we should take notice right there. This is one of the only quoted uh, prayers in the Bible. 
what are they quoting there? They're quoting Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. And essentially what the psalm is saying is the people are raging against one another. The nations are spiraling out of control. And, the, and one of the verses just beyond this passage says, and God sits up there and laughs. The people think they're in control, and God sits up there and he laughs. But what do we see here? We see that God is orchestrating things sovereignly through human agency. And isn't that a mind-blowing thing? That somehow through the nations and the turmoil, Pontius Pilate, Herod, all of these things which were meant for evil, God redeemed them for good. But we see the disciples, why that's important is they are recalling Scripture and they are centering their prayer on the foundation of God's word. You know that you're praying according to God's will if you're praying scripture. So our prayers should be founded on God's word. And we see that from the disciples right here as they reference Psalm 2. The second thing that we see here, do you remember in the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11 and Matthew 6? We all know the Lord's Prayer, right? I hope we do. Remember the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Right? He says, teach us to pray. And he says this, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Does their prayer follow the instruction of the Lord's Prayer? Well, I would submit to you that yes, it does. So our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Their prayer, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You see, everything starts with God's worthiness. And if you remember something from this morning, think this when you pray. God is worthy, I am needy. God is worthy, I am needy. And that's the structure of the Lord's Prayer. We see Godward focused first, manward focused second. God first, man second. Worthiness, neediness. Do the disciples follow this? We see right off the beginning that they do. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Who through the mouth of your father, our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand had predestined to take place. God, your will be done. Right? They're reflecting on Scripture. They're recalling Psalm 2 and saying, God, I know things seem out of control right now, but this is all according to your plan. This is all according to your will. Worship-based prayer. God-dependent prayer. God-focused prayer. Manward. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who debted against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. You see in your passage here where it says, and now. So it breaks that prayer and it says, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. 
while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And now, Lord, Lord, we know you're worthy. We know you're in control. We know your will will be done. Help us. God, help us. May we be able to continue to speak your word with boldness. He is worthy. I am needy. He is worthy. I am needy. That is the structure of their prayer. That's the instruction of our Lord. That is what we see. God word first, man word second. We seek the face of God first, and we seek his hands second. Right? Seek his face first, seek his hands second. How about us? How about our prayers? Are we leading and having scripture-fed prayer? Does our prayer start with the foundation of God's word? And does it take the structure that Jesus has given to us as his instruction to say, you are worthy and I am needy? Or are our prayers like this? And this is from D.A. Carson. I think it's a fantastic quote and it's convicting. And this is in the book, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, Priorities from Paul and His Prayer. We have to ask ourselves how far the petitions we commonly present to God are in line with what Paul or Scripture says. Suppose, for example, that 80 or 90% of our petitions ask God for good health, recovery from illness, safety on the road, a good job, success in exams, the emotional needs of our children, success in our mortgage application, and much more of the same. How much of Paul's or Scripture's praying revolves around equivalent items? If the center of our praying is far removed from the center of Paul or Scripture's praying, then even our praying may serve as a wretched testimony to the remarkable success of the progress or process of paganization in our life and thought. Is that not a sobering thought this morning? Are our prayers like the disciples? Or are our prayers less of a wartime walkie-talkie, as Piper would put it, and more of a bell for room service? That can, be, that can bring quite a bit of conviction. You see, I think a lot of times we pray for relief. Do we not? God, help me. Get me out of this. I, I shouldn't have to endure this this long. Nobody is enduring this this long. And maybe you find yourself there this morning and you're going through a very difficult time and you think, I need relief. God, help me. And maybe God's saying, I want you to endure. I want you to endure. And I think if we were to remove the words bless and be with in our prayers, would we still be able to pray? I say that facetiously, but if we get rid of the words bless and be with in America today, what would be the source of our prayer? Right? We need to be awakened to our desperation, God's complete sovereignty and control, recalling and reflecting on Scripture, using Scripture as the foundation of our prayer, and following the Lord's teaching of his complete sovereignty and worthiness and our utter desperation and neediness. And so this morning, 
just as we see in the text, they're praying for renewed courage, right? Courage to do what? To boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is a prayer in alignment with God's will, and that is a prayer that will get answered. They pray expectantly. So if you look back at the passage, in 31 it says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So they pray, the room shakes, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continue to speak the word boldly. God answers their prayer. Now, just a quick aside, this isn't like a baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is not meaning salvation or conversion. That had already taken place. We know they were already filled and indwelled with the Holy Spirit. This is like an awakening of the Holy Spirit. You can have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and it can awaken itself. Spurgeon had put it like a drop of oil on a fire. Like it just, it, the fire is already existing, but it's giving it a little bit more flame. So they are renewed in their courage. They're renewed in their boldness. And, and why did God answer their prayer? You remember in 1 John 5.14, he says, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The same John that we see here said, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. James says it another way, right? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We know that there is power in prayer. What else do we see from this passage? While they're recalling and relying on the sovereignty of God, does that stop them from actually acting? No. Nor should it stop us. We acknowledge God's sovereignty, but we can't understand how he uses human agency to accomplish his purposes. They didn't just recite the psalm and say, so we'll sit and wait. They recited the psalm, they reflected and remembered his sovereignty and control in all situations, acknowledging that his will will be done, but they were the vessels at which that will is carried out. And we are the same this morning. We should have great confidence that God will answer our prayers if it's according to his will. And God will answer prayer that's centered on his scripture and his word. And if you need proof of that, just think of our church. Think of our church. We, if we back up three years ago, we didn't have a pastor. We didn't have a building. We had essentially a small little movement of people that were desperately crying out to God in prayer. Right? We asked for a shepherd. God gave us Ben. And we asked for a building. Do you remember praying through asking for a building? That God would give us a location because we had gone from the elementary school. Our lease was about to expire. Those of you that have walked this journey can look back. But sometimes <laughs> we are no different than the Israelites. God can take us through all of this. And we can still find ourselves on a Monday morning thinking, where are you? Where are you? And we're no different than David, right? Right? There's psalms where he's saying, God, I feel your breath on my neck. And then other psalms where he's saying, I, I, don't, I can't find you. I don't know where you are. Where are you? 
don't forget what God has done for us at this church. He has answered our prayers. And do you remember what our prayer was? There were two. I have them written down. That's how I remember. Because God, if you allow yourself to record things, we forget so easily. But our prayer was two. It was Psalm 127. It said, unless the, Lord's bu- unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. That's a prayer that God will answer. May we not be building something in vain. In Acts 5, 38 through 39, it said, if you remember they were going through and Gamaliel had talked about the disciples and the movement. We'll get to this in a few weeks. But he said, if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. And is that not our prayer of desperation? Just saying, hey, if this is of man, it'll fizzle. But if this is truly of God, nothing will thwart God's purposes. And we need to be reminded of those things. We need to be expectant that God would answer our prayers. Because God wants to answer our prayers that are in accordance with his will. So, as we consider the 4th of July, our freedoms that we have in America, because of people that have come before us and laid down their life for us so we could have freedom, let us be reminded this morning that Jesus Christ laid down his life for purchasing us that have repented and believed that he is the only way to salvation. And that while we are citizens of America, we are citizens of an imperishable kingdom. And that is fantastic news. Because we are experiencing opposition just as the disciples were. And one African pastor had put it this way. He said, hey, for America, it's either going to be desperation or devastation. It's either desperation or devastation. We as a people need to be getting on our knees, praying together, seeking God, asking him to do a work that only he can do, desperate for God to do that movement, and totally and completely dependent on him. You know, Piper put it this way. He said, until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. We are in a war this morning. We are in a war, but it's a war against the spiritual forces of darkness. It's not a war against a foreign enemy. It's not a war with your neighbor or your coworker. You're not at war with those people. It's not a war against a Christian brother that you have some obstacle between you. The war is against a spiritual force of darkness, which is upon us. And as people, we either desperately cry out to God, just as the disciples did, or we're going to have devastation. Because God's purposes will prevail. God's purposes are going to prevail. And so my prayer for our church, and you know I lead the prayer meetings that we have every month, is that we would be so desperate. We would be so desperate, we have nothing to turn to other than God himself. And not only that, but that God would sustain that desperation. Because just as these disciples and these new converts needed, their prayer was for one of endurance and one of boldness to boldly proclaim and live the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
what did they do? They prayed quickly, they prayed correctly, and they prayed expectantly. Let's pray. God, we know that you and you alone are sovereign, and we are not. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us of just how truly good you are. Remind us that your purposes will prevail. Remind us that there's nothing we're experiencing right now that is out of your control. God, you own the hearts of men and women. You turn them to the left and to the right. May we trust your timing. May we trust your purposes. May we trust you being sovereign in all things. And yet, Lord, we ask that you would help us to endure as Christians. God, I ask for that person here this morning that they need freedom from sin. They need freedom from the shackles of their own sin. God, may today, the 4th of July, 2021, be a day when they can throw that off, trust in you, and have the forgiveness of sin and the citizenship in heaven. And God, for my Christian brothers and sisters, may we be encouraged by Peter and John. May you allow us this week to be quick to pray. Lord, may you remind us to pray according to your will, to pray correctly. And then God, would you help us to trust you, expecting you to do great things because we know that you're a good God and you're in control. And so, Lord, we fall at your knees. And we know that every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. And so, Lord, we bow down to you. We love you and we thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.